I'm Liz. And I'm Sasha. And this is our podcast, Ray of Blight. Episode number four. So this episode, we will be talking about... James Bond. But particularly... The theme songs. I'm really excited because there are four things that James Bond movies are known for. One is for an interchangeable James Bond actor. The other is for the siren deadly woman. The third is for the theme songs, which is what we're discussing, and how seminal they are to pop culture. And the fourth is how terrible the movies are. (laughs) Oh, also we should clarify, there's also the James Bond theme, which... Well, that that was number point three, but yeah, yes. no, 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 the one that's like the actual. Oh, oh, you mean the one that goes. That one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that a good? Was that a good surf guitar? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that melody gets incorporated into the actual song that they have some kind of pop star doing. Yeah. Um, or even like just like the soundtrack altogether is like a theme to lure itself in. Yeah. Like, and if, I've definitely heard it like that kind of effect. Oh, well, that's an unintentional pun because I was going to bring up um, in in different pop songs like uh, the Hooverphonic did a cover of the song "This Strange Effect" by uh, that guy Dave Barry, I think. Not the MTV presenter who used to be the boyfriend of Heidi Range. And not Dave Barry, the satire writer. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty damn common name, isn't it? <laughs> um, no, but they they did a cover of the song "The Strange Effect," and they they you hear it in lots of lots of pop songs that want to be edgy. Yeah, or like any time that they want to like recall some kind of secret agent thing going on, spy movie. Yeah, well, totally. Actually, because um, Liz and I off camera, we were talking about the girl band Girls Aloud earlier and their debut single. Um, Sound of the Underground has that surf guitar effect in it because they wanted the spy thing. And the same songwriter, actually, uh, Miranda Cooper, she wrote the theme song for the TV show Totally Spies. Which one? Well, now what show? What was that show all? Was it? It's, uh, it's a Valley Girl spy. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. And then we'll shop. Spies, here we go. <laughs> but you know, but it, but it's, it shows that like the the producers of that cartoon they they heard those spy effects and they were like, hey, you should write us a theme song in the same spy thing. Even though I think it, if I remember correctly, I think it was just one of her own songs that she just repurposed with new lyrics. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna change the topic, um, and that is one thing, and this is kind of what got us rolling on the bond. Um, thing, not just because the movie's coming out, but it prompted a discussion. Yeah, okay, so when they announced that Adele was doing the Bond thing, um, we were like, does that mean that Adele is, she's already peaked and is on her way down? And the reason that we think that is because when they select artists to do the Bond song, it's always like right after they peaked, and it's almost like whoever makes the decisions for the James Bond stuff is like slightly behind the times or the negotiations take so long and the movies come out you know not necessarily within the same time span as when that artist has really sort of peaked in their popularity and so sometimes it can be uh sort of symbolic of the fact that they're no longer as popular and sometimes the songs sort of end up not being very good um and so like so we were thinking like some examples that we were laughing about were 
like view to a kill, the Duran Duran thing, kind of was like right after they peaked, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a couple of examples where like this doesn't quite fit, but it's it's a good general rule because I mean, Duran Duran came back with Ordinary World, but they know, reinvented themselves. Th yeah, and I mean, like, there, and there's some like Cheryl Crow never really peaked with hers, I guess, but it was it was she kind of disappeared for a little bit before yeah. she soaked up the sun. I, I guess, you know, and then there's like a random choice of Rita Coolidge who never really ever had a hit. Yeah. But other than that, everyone else kind of just disappeared. Yeah. Well, then Tina Turner, right? So she, when she did hers, like... Before she retired into permanent touring? <laughs> is, that, is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> well, and um, and the also, so the Madonna one, like, oh, it seems weirdly inappropriate that it's kind of techno-y. And the truth is that actually the producers asked Madonna to do it because it was at the turn of the century and they wanted um they were like Madonna you're all about reinventing yourself so maybe it's symbolic of the turning of the century of Bond techno Madonna like it was intentional I yeah guess, is what I'm saying yeah I got you yeah some of our favorite ones that we enjoy sometimes we enjoy because they're fabulous but sometimes we enjoy them because they're not fabulous yeah actually this, this is very good that you brought this up because I feel that there are three categories of James Bond songs. And one of them is that they're absolutely amazing songs. One is that they're absolutely amazing because they're awful. And then most people lump the third category as the Madonna song. <laughs> or the, there's some that, also there's some that are just kind of like, Man. they didn't end up using it. And those are the ones oh, yeah. that left to the sort of lore of obscurity that you had to sort of know about and then find somewhere or if you're already a fan of the band like the pulp one. Oh, like the blondie one too yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. or sometimes uh, there's a few instances where they'll have the opening theme with the well-known song and then they'll have the same song covered by someone else during the rolling credits oh yeah oh that always happens during disney movies actually like i remember watching watching hercules the disney hercules <laughs> and then the the credits were rolling and then michael bolton and was singing a song, and then after that, Belinda Carlisle was going <laughs> to a song. Isn't Belinda Carlisle supposed to sing a James Bond song? Uh, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. They they always do this. That, that's that's the thing. Is like ne negotiations always seem to fall through, and we'll get there. Specifically, like when we talk about the songs, should we talk about them in order, or should we just talk about them arbitrarily? Arbitrarily. Cool. I like that. So let's talk about Moonraker, because that one sucks. And yes, and also there's so, so many people covered it. Which is weird. It's a, I, okay, it's a beautiful melody, but it really doesn't go anywhere arrangement-wise. Like, the arrangement makes it seem more flat than it is. And it's super weird, because Moonraker, like, the lyrics that, um, the lyrics of Moonraker are weird, because they're talking about Moonraker as, like, some opportunistic dreamer. Wait, okay, hold on, before we move any further. The Moonraker as popularized by... Shirley Bassey. Yes, okay. Hound. Yeah, um, Shirley Bassett Hound. Uh, Shirley Bassey has, is like the queen of James Bond, so I think it's, it's fair right. to say... Of James Bond themes. I think of all James Bond, but yes, yeah. of all James Bond themes. But and by the way, if you ever watch any live performances of her, um, anytime anybody introduces her, you know... It, she's Welsh and so it's always like a British person introducing her and then they always say they always say like and our national treasure Dame Shirley Bassey Godfinger <laughs> 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 
Sanders, Sanders, Sanders. But now, ladies and gentlemen, talking of royalty, my guest tonight, my guest tonight is the queen of music. She's a show business legend who sold millions of records around the world, but tonight she's here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Dave Shirley Bassey. Anyway, um, so the third of her, <laughs> we're talking about this arbitrarily, this is going to be great. That's not any different from our usual mode of conversation. Is mm. our... <laughs> no, too true. I raise my, my, my mug of licorice root tea in the Choco Cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I mug. will raise my licorice root tea in my strawberry shortcake glass while in the other hand holding a... Black eye, so espresso in coffee, and then also some herbal tea, you know, because I like to be healthy. Anyway, so Shirley Bassey. Actually, no. I'm going to stop myself. I okay. think Shirley Bassey deserves to be talked about in order, because otherwise this isn't going to make any sense. Okay. Okay. Shirley Bassey sang the first official vocal theme. Matt, a guy named Matt Monroe sang From Russia With Love, but that one doesn't really count because that one is a terrible song and I cannot for the life of me remember how it goes. But it's, it only played in the middle of the, of the movie as like an incidental kind of thing. So, whatever, Matt Monroe. What have you been doing? Who cares? Shirley Bassey. So she sang Goldfinger. As popularized by karaoke. <laughs> In my in my life, as popularized by hearing people do it at karaoke, and I was like, this song is amazing. Right, we actually did it at karaoke not too long ago, yeah. where I sang the Shirley Bassey part and Liz sang the horn part. What's amazing about that too is I don't do duets at karaoke, but I will do a duet with you on that song because you're the horn section. <laughs> because I can be the horn. Thank you. Print it. <laughs> um. So Goldfinger actually is a pretty damn amazing song. It's really hard to sing a karaoke, and it's uh, she holds that last note out forever, and it's it's crazy because like that's really one of the, that's like the ultimate thing next to the surf guitar. Um, that's what most people think about when they think about a James Bond theme is Goldfinger, mm -hmm. and um, and that sort of majestic extravagance that really gets elevated at the end. Exactly, it's so ref and it's reflective of. Diva Dame Shirley Bassey. Yes. You know, and she retired the song for a while because she was so sick of it. But then people were disappointed that she wasn't singing. She, so she's kind of taken, taken it to like, all right, I got to suck it up and do it. But it's hard because, you know, when you sing the same song for so many years and that's what you're known for, it gets really old. Right. But, uh, she, um, but she's awesome at it. And now I think she's kind of okay with it because she usually does like medleys of the three um, of the three James Bond songs that are official of hers, because she has a fourth one from Die Another Day. Mm -hmm. No, no, Quantum of Solace that was not used, and we listened to it, and it's really boring, so there you go. Sorry, Shirley. Yeah. You're usually so entertaining. Although we did watch some live performance where she did A View to, View to, Kill. A, A View to a Kill and then Goldfinger. Yeah. But interrupted by a man with bad teeth on BBC, what a surprise, giving her a gold VHS tape because her live Concert. VHS <laughs> had gone gold. And she was so surprised and so beside herself. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the amazing thing about Shirley Bassey is that she, she's such 
the quintessential diva in that she's amazing and she could be so full of herself and for all we know she probably is and she deserves it but she's so charismatic about it yeah. that it makes it okay i feel like also like the one word everybody always uses to describe her is fabulous exactly because she is yes because she is fabulous she's she's badass yeah she, and she has this amazingly powerful voice but it's also slightly hilarious at yes. the same time like she's fully aware of like how like extravagantly fabulous yes yeah. Like, her vibrato is insane, and she knows it. It's, yeah. It's sort of like her voice was like, you know what we need? More vibrato. And maybe some sequins. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what Shirley Bassey is. So she sang, she sang Goldfinger, and that's her signature tune. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty badass, so that, like, led her to being the signature singer of James Bond, because that's, it's such a great performance, and it's a solid song. I mean, there are many times when when people have said, oh no, a spider. And in my head, I'm going, spider's touch. <laughs> well, and also sometimes she goes kind of into Eartha Kitt territory. Oh yeah. Could you imagine a conversation between the two? <laughs> Hello, Eartha. <laughs> Hello. This is the worst imitation ever. <laughs> I know. And that's being cut. Um, okay, uh, so yeah, Goldfinger. Pretty much establishes the best song ever and they they reuse elements of that in other songs because that's so signature they used it in um the katie lang song surrender mm -hmm. or katie you Lang's mean she covered a cheap trick song i'm totally kidding sorry carry on <laughs> oh liz um no they they katie lang sang the song surrender which is actually supposed to be the original song for tomorrow never dies which is gonna Oh, this is so complicated to talk about. Um, but oftentimes they'll, the thing is with James Bond songs, the Broccoli family, who are in charge of all of this, they, uh, they will have a song commissioned, um, and then last minute they'll go, you know what, we want Cheryl Crow to sing instead. She seems like a more powerful singer than Katie Lang. They did that with, uh, they did, they've done this many times. They did, they, they did it with, um, Scott Walker, not mm -hmm. the governor, <laughs> for for Die Another Day when we got Madonna last minute. Um, and they did it with uh, lots of other people. Whatever, we'll get there. So it just it just happens. Like they like they hire somebody in the last minute, they go, eh, we'll relegate you to end credits. Sorry. Yeah, or it's like you recorded a version of it, it's not what we want it to be. Oh yeah. Well yeah. Yeah. We should also mention that... Goldfinger is still fabulous. Should we just keep giving it superlatives <laughs> without describing it any further? <laughs> uh, well, actually, we should also mention that... I forget the writer's name who did, who wrote the James Bond theme. John Barry. Thank you, John Barry. And now David Arnold has been in charge of it. And he was... Yeah, because well, uh, John Barry passed away in 2011. Thank right. You. And David David Arnold has kind of like a, an electronic John Barry kind of-esque-ism about him. They picked a really good successor, I felt. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah. work, Broccoli Family. The last couple of themes have sucked. Although I really I really do like uh Daniel Craig. He's and it has Dame Judy Dench. This is a thing about dames. Also we all we just enjoy going Dame Judy Dench. It's a pro, it's a programmed word in my cell phone. In all <laughs> in all capitals. Yeah. It's great. It's it, it I just I type in D A and then my phone goes, do you mean Dame Judy Dench? And I go, yes, I do. <laughs> I love that she's the... I, I know we don't really care about the movies, but I, I do really 
enjoy the fact that she's M, the boss. Yeah. Which is awesome because in, in It's nice having a lady. Yeah, it's it's awesome to have the character recast from a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever. Like Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Yes. Uh, also, oh, one other thing. Well while the election was happening, I was watching the NBC news coverage and I feel that Tom Brokaw now looks like Dame Judy Dench. Because <laughs> of his because well she has super short, short hair. hair and the, the Sally Yeah. The glasses. The gl so, um, and do, now, but one thing that Tom Brokoff does that I don't recall is Dame Judy Dench does, and that is that talking out of the left side of your mouth. The Tina Turner. Let's talk about the Tina Turner song. What, what? Written by you two. <laughs> well, Bono and The Edge. And it's kind of, it's meta, because half the lyrics are actually about them watching James Bond, and how, and it sounds angsty, because, because the, the line, Golden No, not that one, <laughs> the line, You'll never know how I watched you from the shadows of a child. Oh, I didn't and consider I'm, that that's what that was, I guess I didn't even think about the topic of, or not, I, I didn't think of the meaning of that line. Golden they use the theme from Goldfinger in J in Katie Lang's Surrender because you hear this muted angsty trumpet thing. They also use it in Gladys's and <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> uh, they also use it in Gladys Knight's um, Celine Dion-esque mess of a song. Yes, which Celine Dion popularized by covering did later. She, yeah, did she? She did, Crazy. yeah. Of course. Why am I surprised? Celine Dion sings everything. Right. Um, which was... Didn't she cover a Fugazi song? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Celine Dion sing that Mongolian throat singing? <laughs> Hit um, from Dubai. Oh wait, do your do your throat singing. Do it, do it on command. <laughs> that has no relevance. That was, but it was awesome. Do you think Shirley Bassey can do that? Shirley she Bassey can, get, can do anything. She can get pretty sonorous, like, she, with the all-time Oh, we haven't even talked about that yet. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll come back to you, Shirley. But, um... See, this is all over the place! <laughs> God! <laughs> okay, so Houston Katie Lang's thing, and then Gladys' Night song, License to Kill, which is the most amazing thing ever, if only because the music video is trying to make Gladys Knight look like a man because she's, she's wearing dressed a in a tux. And then, and then, like, random women in the background going... Well, because she goes, I'm a license to kill! And then the background ladies lip sync. And it's so awful. And it's awesome to sing at karaoke. And the really awful uh, male Adele chubby boy from X Factor from last year in the UK sang License to Kill during James Bond week. And it was awful. His name is Craig Colton. That is all. Got a license to kill. And I 
Okay, so Tina Turner, since we want to talk, go there, <laughs> Tina Turner is the queen of the best um, facial expressions where, I know this is going <laughs> to sound offensive, so maybe we'll cut this, but okay. it's like, sometimes she'll do the facial expression where you're like, her chin will go in, and then like her one eye will twitch as if she's recovering from a stroke. <laughs> She and does do that. I love her. I yeah. love Tina Turner because she's like, oh man, okay, we, could you imagine if Eartha Kitt was still alive, if her, if Eartha, <laughs> if, her, if Eartha and Tina and Shirley all were in a girl group together? Oh my god. It would be the- What would that sound like? Like hell. Yeah. I mean like heaven. Like, like a sassy, brassy, bassy heaven. Oh my god. Okay, so the Duran Duran, I want to talk about the Duran Duran one. So I watched both the music video that Duran Duran made for that song, but I also watched the actual opening sequence where they used that song, and there was someone who made some comment, like lots of people are doing their like top 10 most and least favorite Bond songs, whatever. Number one favorite, Man with the Golden Gun by Lulu. <laughs> I'm just kidding, no one likes Lulu. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> and someone was saying that, that what they enjoyed about that sequence, even though it's kind of cheesy, is that like, it really, even though the song topped the charts in the US and was the only Bond song to do that, although I don't know if the Adele one is, but um, that even though everybody seems to agree that it was kind of cheesy, that it was a really good sort of um, mark of the times when you look at the, se the opening sequence with that song because they used, um, you know, it had all the typical like silhouettes of women that bond um, the animated kind of sequences to begin. <laughs> thank you, yes. Um, thank you, Gladys. Um, and, um, but that there was a lot of neon makeup and that that, like on, and so, and then that, that seemed very 80s. And then I went and watched the View to a Kill um, video that Duran Duran made where they used, so it, in that movie, the snippets that they used from the Bond movie in the video were basically just Bond on the Eiffel Tower shooting, but he's like shooting the band, but the band are all separated from each other doing different things, so Nick Rhodes is looking a lot like Bonnie Tyler, like photographing some woman, <laughs> and um, Simon Le Bon is like, he's wearing like a black beret. You know, and he does that thing at the end where, you know, like, that everybody always loves, where he's like, I'm Bon, Simon, LeBon. But what I noticed uh, this time around that I don't remember noticing when this was on MTV every second when I was a kid about that video is that he actually does, he sort of hams it up when he does that. Like, he, like, he like, makes that face where he's like, like... Get it? Get it? And I just, I thought that was hilarious. And so I took a couple screenshots that um, I'm going to show to Sasha right now, and I'll put these up on the Podbean blog site. I am ever so excited. You're gonna, you, I, audience, I know you can kind of hear my um, typing on here. I hope that's okay with you. Sorry to be so disturbing. Uh, view <laughs> yes. to a kill video stills. All right, here all we right. go. First of all, there's a tape deck. Like, it's like a Walkman. And it, <laughs> Panasonic. Yeah, and there's nice. like a tape in it, and that doubles as some kind of gun or whatever. And then there's like an exploding, exploding Zeppelin blimp. or blimp or whatever. Nick Rhodes. Oh, right. Nick Rhodes looking like uh, Bonnie Tyler Actually, again. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Totally 
Yeah. Uh, there's John Taylor looking out over the Eiffel Tower who, terrace or whatever. Who looks like one of the guys, the, the guy who has hair from uh, Manhattan Transfer. <laughs> I like that you know what anybody in Manhattan Transfer looks like. Hey, I met Jana Siegel once at the Dakota Jazz Club, and I was completely out of my mind on NyQuil because I had a huge fever, but I paid for those tickets. <laughs> There's Simon LeBon in the white trench coat and the beret and his cassette Walkman. Nick Rhodes looking like Bonnie Tyler again. This is nuts. Oh, oh, and Grace Jones was in that movie, so they snipped in. I was going to say that looks like Grace Jones' silhouette. All you see are her eyes. Whoa! Here's Nick Rhodes um, having a moment. Having a moment because there's like some weird sonic thing going on with the attack. Um, and see, I try. Okay, so now we're at the end of the video, and there's a woman who said, "Pardon me, aren't you?" And that's where he goes, "Bond, Simon LeBond," and then gets you know <laughs> sticky oh, and hams it up. Witty. Excuse me, aren't you? Bond, Simon. But and I tried to get a frozen frame of it and I just couldn't I couldn't freeze it. So Shirley Bassey <laughs> sang a couple of unreleased compilations of Bond themes. One of them has never been leaked, but one of them um Miss Liz and I listened to briefly and um two amazing moments have happened that we realized is well, probably the reason she didn't release it was because her vocal takes are a little bit funky on it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the music sounds like really weird MIDI karaoke. My, I, I enjoy her saying all-time why during the all-time high song. And That's what I meant about the sonorous yes. thing earlier. It was weirdly sonorous. The other thing that I really enjoyed was her cover of Live and Let Die, which is a video game-like mess. Yeah. Also, what's weird about that song is, so, you know, there's parts of it that are very James Bondy, but there's also parts that are kind of almost reggae-ish. What does it matter to you? When you got a job to do, you well, Paul McCartney on. Yeah, time. well, he wrote it with Linda, and then Wings performed it. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, and by the way, Paul McCartney, could you not decide on a band name? Because you you, you ruined my last FM Scrabbles with that. Is it Paul McCartney and Persand Wings? Ampersand? Is it Paul McCartney oh. A&D Wings? Yeah. Is it Wings, the television show? <laughs> Buffalo Wings? It, it's, it is kind of like Paul McCartney was writing this like really badass, really over-the-top song, and then he got distracted by by someone out the window. Linda McCartney was like, I'd like to take your picture. <laughs> I don't know where how to point a camera, but I'm going to release a, a book of photographs anyway. Of pop stars. Of pop stars that I photographed. Oh, I missed Paul Simon's forehead. It's art. <laughs> I used to live with three other women in a house in Eugene, Oregon, and one of them had that Linda McCartney book. And I remember uh, looking through it with one of my friends, and my friend was eating a popsicle while looking at the book, and it was like a blue popsicle. And part of the, the popsicle dripped on the book, and he just nonchalantly wiped it off and tried to look like it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> was it a blue popsicle that was a bonus dessert in a Linda McCartney frozen TV dinner? How did you know? I enjoy her butternut squash ravioli. 
Actually, this reminds me of when we were making those really bad, those really bad James Bond theme song puns. Like, like and we, <laughs> I if, we, if we were gonna, if we were gonna have an, a diner, would it be all time pie or live or let pie or pie another day? Would be if they're closed early. Uh, just a drink, a martini, shaken not stirred. So Shirley Bassey um, <laughs> made a comment on your Facebook wall. <laughs> uh, she sang. She said that she wanted to come to the James Bond theme bar and she wanted to drink and that the drink would be Gold Schlager. Anyway, so Shirley Bassey sang Diamonds Are Forever as well. Diamonds Are Forever. 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 Because it gets kind of funky at the end for like three seconds and then the song remembers, oh. <laughs> oh, what am I doing? <laughs> Pretty, it's a pretty sweet song. Not as good as, as Goldfinger, but nothing is, as yeah. we've discovered. Um, oh, another thing that I find intriguing about a lot of the Bond songs is that they'll work in, like, the theme of, like, somehow tying it in with, like, relationships and human seduction, but then it, but then it also doubles as like, bond, so for example, the Sheena Easton one, for your eyes only, you know that beginning where it sounds like really like dramatic, yeah, the, the actual, I really like the verses, but then the chorus kicks in and it's a piece of crap, I mean, it's wonderful, and my mom has never complained multiple times while I was growing up about how terrible that song was and that it played at a prom. <laughs> but so in the lyrics of the song, you know, it's, you know, about intimacy and everything, but then also the Bond, you know, yeah. tie-in. I thought that was actually very clever. Shannon Easton actually also was the only singer to ever appear in the opening credits of a James Bond theme song. Oh, that explained... The video for that I was like wow they really like like if this was the early days of videos like they did a pretty good job of or incorporating the movie into the but now I'm realizing it was because she's in the for the our eyes oh my yes yeah. yes well I mean she's a really striking woman though so yeah. it's fine but um I think also the only Bond movie where the Bond the singer of the Bond theme appears in the movie is Madonna, Madonna. yeah, yeah. For Your Eyes Only had another theme, which was the Blondie one, which is actually kind of cool, if only because, um, I, in my head, it's, I've, I'm, I'm, my brain has embedded Debbie Harry going, Cush! <laughs> and Angel! <laughs> oh, right, because the New Yorkie, her New Yorkie thing. Caution! <laughs> her East Coast, sorry, her East Coast thing. Her Sheena East Coast? Yes. Yeah, um, but that's one of those movies where, you know, like, the theme gets replaced, you know, um, and, uh, like, that happened with, uh, that happened, like I said, with the Katie Lang one being bumped for Sheryl Crow, where Sheryl Crow sounds like a dying cat on the chorus. I'm so Her voice 
also it seems weirdly thin. Yeah, it's weird. For I mean, that entire song. So another song that got replaced was Scott Walker sang the like a ballad, a very beautiful ballad actually, for Die Another Day. Although it's kind of a downer, but it is it's a beautiful song. Um, and then and then uh, Madonna took over. And then, and then Scott Walker's really well known for being super artsy and out there, like really out there. Um, and he used to be like a crooner of some, like, but a teen heartthrob at the same time, who sang English rep, like versions of French art pop songs. Yeah. And, and, and then I remember there was this interview where um, somebody was like, you know, why don't you ever, Scott, why don't you ever sing like you used to? You know, like normal. And he went, I did. It was for James Bond and no one wanted it. <laughs> oh, pull the Scott Walker. And now, and ever since that interview, I, I think I've seen like the Scott Walker song from Die Another Day on James Bond compilations almost as like a pity. Like, yeah. We're so sorry, Mr. Walker. <laughs> <laughs> you can sing another day. <laughs> Just the same. So Moonraker, oh. <laughs> the next song, so of Shirley Bassett, mm -hmm. Hound, um, it's, it's funny to me, uh, <laughs> is a weird one because she wasn't even supposed to sing that one, right? Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be, it was a Johnny Mathis. I don't even no, know. No, 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 no. No, it was supposed to be Kate Bush, which is really? so random. Yeah, it was supposed to be Kate Bush, which is weird because, I mean, Shirley Bassey's like, where are you? And you'd imagine Kate Bush in 1979 going, yeah. Where are you? You know, but I think she, she politely declined. And that's when they wanted Frank Sinatra, who said no. And then they were like, Johnny Mathis, we want you. And Johnny was like, all right. And that's then he such came. a weird... Yeah, and then Johnny Mathis apparently, like, left the studio the day of being like, no, F this, and over some contractual dispute. And so they were like, Shirley, come in. And Shirley has never fully owned the song according to her she's like yeah. i just sang the song it's never did been it i did it as a favor yeah basically and yeah. it's weird because she sings it excellently but it seems like she is going through shirley bassey motions you know yeah yeah and i know that like i've seen video yeah because we watched a video together where she was doing the the her james bond medley and she sings like <laughs> she she sings like goldfinger for most of it and then she sings one line of, where are you? And then she's like, and moving on to Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's nice. And then she had another song for Quantum Solace that never got used. Let's talk about... Derbal. Um, Alice Cooper. Oh, yeah. Alice Cooper versus Lulu. Who will win? Ding, ding. So they ended up, so he did one, which actually at first I was like, really? Alice Cooper do a bonding? But then I thought about... You know, he's really theatrical, you know? Yeah. Like, it's sort of... And then once I heard it, I was like, you know, I've definitely heard him use, like, a variety of different types of instrumentation in his songs. And then when I heard the Bond song, I was like, yeah, you know, this... I, I can see why they asked him to do this. But I must say, I didn't think it was that good of a song. Yeah, it's kind of a little beneath him. It's, which, I mean, it's weird because you think, like, well, Alice Cooper's really great. James Bond songs are supposed to be great. Supposed to be in the operative word here. Yeah, but sometimes um, they're not. Things clash. Yeah, it just it just happens. Yeah. And we end up with Lulu. <laughs> Is that what happened? 
They gave Lulu the song. Yeah, that was one of the that was one of those incidents where they asked Alice to use to make a song, and he hired the Pointer Sisters and Ronnie Spector to sing backing vocals. I think. What an interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, I love like Veronica Spector, and I love. No, Ronnie yeah, Sisters, but I mean, but... to to be par- to, for him to like. Yeah. Do you think someone just talked him into it, or do you think? It was his idea. I don't know. Oh, and maybe maybe it was his idea. Actually, no, I think it was his idea, now that you mentioned it, because I think he submitted the song, because that happens once in a while, because it's super competitive to do that, like, to get a James Bond song, because, like, you know, even though your theory about the peaking is pretty much true, um, I think uh, you're immortalized by forever getting royalties off of your performance. True. And the whole world has heard your voice, you know? You're forever a James Bond song. Um, Lulu. Uh, the Man with the Golden Gun is a really awkward song. Too. That's the Lulu one. Yeah, it's extremely sexually suggestive. And I remember, um, once hearing Emiliana Torini, the Icelandic singer, sing a cover of it. And it's very weird because usually think of her voice as kind of like this wispy kind of thin voice because she she's known in america for singing the theme song to the second lord of the rings movie <laughs> but so she's kind of like it never even occurred to me to think about people doing themes to the lord of the rings movies like i didn't well think about it now don't you feel ashamed <laughs> <laughs> james bond isn't the only one you know <laughs> well and also it, lately it seems like the hit songs for movies tend to be <laughs> during the credits mm-hmm. Like, that seems to be... Well, that's what I mean, like, the credit themes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, it used to be the opening credits. Now it feels like the closing credits. Like, oh, yeah, I could... Like, Men in Black 3. <laughs> <laughs> you just went to see that because of the pug. I did, and there was not much pug. I was really annoyed. That was my review of the movie. Although I did give the movie a thumbs up. Because I did enjoy it, but I would have enjoyed it more had there been more Frank the Pug. Anyway, so, also, um, end of all the superhero movies always have all the hits now. Uh, anyway, sorry. Anyway. So, Lulu. Oh, oh, Emiliana. So, Emiliana, uh, she had this... She, she, I guess when she was younger, she used to sing with a really brassy kind of voice, which is weird, too. Oh, yeah. I also... I have I, I bought the album because it was so bizarre hearing it. And my roommate at the time absolutely hated that song, so I used to play it only because you heard... And it was... <laughs> It deeply amusing for me to that that's all I had to play and then I could hit skip. <laughs> Which is hilarious because that just reminded me of that midi Shirley Bassey stuff that we were watching. Where <laughs> oh where she oh it's in where she goes, it's the line dance into the fire. And so she goes, dance! And then the you hear a keyboard go, and then she goes, into the fire. Like it's like got this pause where there's like that little sound that every time that she did that I started laughing hysterically. Also something that I'm just going to go off the topic for. Our waveform looks like a starfruit. Sasha's referring to watching the sound, uh, the waves that we're recording. You're making me sound like I'm high. <laughs> well, see, that's funny that you'd mention this because in... <laughs> that I'm high. Most, I'm not high. No, but in the most the most recent Chuck Klosterman book, Vis- The Visible Man, mm-hmm. there's this thing where one of the characters is talking about how, like, well, now, you know, like, when we digital record, like, we, like, see the sound waves as we're, like, 
recording it, which is like using a different sensory modality, because usually we hear when we didn't. Okay, anyway, not the point that I was trying to make, and that was just earlier we were listening to a posthumous Whitney Houston song written by, written. She recorded, R. Kelly made yeah, a demo for it. Whitney. Whitney recorded the song by herself, I Look To You, and it was on her final album, and now A Greatest Hits is coming out, and they posthumously spliced some together, and at the end, you get this really awkward pseudo-chant of, Whitney, 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 Whitney. We love you, Whitney. Whitney, Whitney, Whitney. <laughs> we love you, Whitney. So Moonraker, uh, god damn this song. It's so boring we keep going off topic. Well, so many people covered it. Too. Yeah, it's weird. But it is a beautiful melody, but the arrangement does nothing for it. I think they were just trying to really overcompensate for the fact that the song just ended up being lot, so last minute. Yeah. Um, nice effort, Mr. Barry, but, you know, it's, you know, and Miss Miss Bassey sings it competently, but again, going through the motions. Yeah. And it's weird. Like, how do you go from the sequence of Kate Bush to Frank Sinatra to, <laughs> to Johnny Mathis to Shirley Bassey's Save Our Butt? <laughs> You know, it's yeah, that's so, such a weird uh, sequence of events. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like you know, how, like I want to know what the link of the train of thought between each of those was. Well, they, well, I mean, Kate, I mean, the Shirley Bassey can understand old reliable. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I kind of see the Kate Bush thing only because, like, at that time she, she sang was really popular, super popular, and she yeah. sang really high. And the songs, uh, like, the movie is set in space, which is weird because the book is not in space. And, but, and the lyrics, th this is what I was mentioning before, was because, um, the lyrics are about love and longing and they're, they're personifying Moonraker as a dreamer. And what's weird is that Moon Moonraker is a shuttlecraft who does not look for gold. <laughs> it's like the song just did like nobody knew what was going on in Moonraker no one did and now we may move on yes uh, let's talk about Nancy Sinatra oh yeah actually uh, you they... only live twice or the Bjork cover yeah oh that live twice <laughs> <laughs> um I love you Bjork how you doing Wait, I'm gonna change the topic can you do your crazy cattle calls right now, please? <laughs> James Bond meets vocal technique. I don't class care. Do it. College. People, you have to. This is amazing. I have to. I have to turn away from the mic or I'll blast it. Okay. okay. Wait, wait, wait. Describe what you're. To tell. To... This is our Norwegian cow call. Okay. I probably don't even have the words right. It's been so long that. Osta, gotta be covering Yeriki. 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 The cow, there is a thief in the field. <laughs> That's, for like a, for I learned like, that from my old teacher, Peggy Larson. Giving you a shout out, Peg. That was amazing. I'd also like to say that for like a, like one second, it sounded like you were saying, here, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Yep. Anyway, was, Nancy Sinatra. No, actually, Nancy Sinatra... Um, was hired because they wanted Frank again. They really wanted Frank for some reason, which is weird because he doesn't seem like a James Bondy kind of mm -mm. guy. Mm -mm. Frank was like, I don't feel like it. I'm too busy making disco albums.
so Frank Frank said no, but you can have my daughter Nancy, <laughs> who they sound nothing like each other. Not, nothing like each other, um, and I'm sure Frank would have done a okay job. Yeah, you know, but whatever. So Nancy apparently was scared shitless because she was super self conscious about her voice, which she should be since it's not that great. And they t took like eight billion vocal takes and spliced the best takes together. <laughs> And that's that's no easy feat in the day because they used to record straight to tape. So and they, then they'd have to take the tape out and cut it like physically. Yeah. Yeah. Could you? Met, I want to see that, that like that tape reel. Actually, think about how much Scotch tape I know. is taped to the tape. Yeah. Exactly. But she did a nice job. Yeah, it sounds good. And I, I kind there's of there's a hilarious video on YouTube that we might have watched this together. We did. Oh, we where did. it's like part of the song and where she says, "You only live twice, once." For yourself and once for your dreams. And whenever she says dreams, they put in a like a very like pastoral picture of like, like the clip art. Yeah. yeah, of like a nice pastoral forest. I love YouTube for those lyric videos people make on their own in Windows Movie Maker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like so many videos. We don't. I, there's too many to reference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Nancy did an okay job, and this, I think the song is beautiful actually, and it's really understated, which is which was unusual for the time for James Bond songs because they were known for being big, a standard set because of Shirley Bassey actually, Queen of James Bond. Dame Shirley Bassey, uh, and um, I I really enjoy like the kind of weird spy meets Hawaiian theme going on in the instrumentation. Yeah, well, I feel like that is a that's a thing like. The the spy mute the spy surf guitar Hawaiian instrumentation thing like that is really, like, I mean it, I, I'm sure it was not invented for the James Bond genre. I mean we've got Dick Dale King of Surf Guitar, yes, that, yes. you know you know I mean all that stuff too. But like I feel like when people think like the James Bond like James Bond music in the public imagination is sort of this you know, Hawaiian, whatever, whatever. With dramatic strings. And yes. And sometimes a distorted guitar. Yeah, and like fanfare of... Oh, big brassy. Horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, it, with the exception of the Chris Cornell... Do we really? James... A oh my God! Like... That song upsets me because it has a really interesting melody during the verse, but that's the only redeeming value of that. And I can't understand why it's so popular. I actually was shocked that, like, like, I mean, James Bond has always been, you know, trendy in the sense that it is reflective of the time, you know, but, like, that one just seems, like, it, it didn't seem universal in a way, in the way that some of the other sort of iconic James Bond stuff does. Like, it seems a yeah. little too trendy. It seemed a little cock-rocky, actually. It was very cock-rocky, and granted, there's that part of me that I have essentially I mean, I like a lot of different kinds of music, obviously, obviously, I like pop music, but there is that part of me that has the musical interest of a guy that worked at the Guitar Center. Like, when I heard that, I was like, this is sort of catchy, but but in the context of a James Bond theme, it was it was horrible. Okay, Rita Coolidge, we anyway. gotta talk about you, because Barbara Broccoli, daughter of Albert Broccoli, I think is the name? Whatever, Mr. Broccoli. The, who, the... Broccoli um, Senior. Yeah, the producers. producers of the Bond, of the Bond movies, not the Bond themes. Right. Of the Bond themes. Or, or the, of the Bond themes, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, the studios of the producers, whatever. So, the Broccoli, Anyway, they have the final say in who does the and, Bond themes. And I guess they wanted, like, they wanted Donna Summer, and then they wanted, like, 
they probably wanted Johnny Memphis at this point, but they wanted they wanted all these other singers and they couldn't decide. And then they were like, we can't get Shirley Bassey again. Yeah, look <laughs> at Johnny Cash to do Thunderball. <laughs> All right, anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> Johnny Cash's Thunderball. That was a moment. Anyway. Anyway, let's have a moment of silence for Johnny, Johnny Cash's, Cash's Thunderball. Thunderball. <laughs> and then we remember Tom Jones's Thunderball, which is really just him passing out in the studio singing <laughs> that last note, which is hilarious because it's not even that hard, and it's not that long, and I sound like I'm describing the man's golden gun. <laughs> oh, God. Which is funny that we're talking about Tom Jones, but anyway. Um, Rita Coolidge, back to Rita Coolidge. All-time high. So Barbara was like, I really like Rita Coolidge, Dad. And her dad was like, okay. <laughs> so Rita Coolidge, woman of no hits, came out of nowhere. And Rita Coolidge, actually, I think she has a really nice voice. And the song was written by, it was like co-written with Tim Rice, who wrote a bunch of musical theater lyrics for like Andrew Lloyd Webber and with he also I think he wrote the lyrics for the pseudo I'm using pseudo as a prefix a lot in this but like that the half okay the half ABBA musical chess oh yeah uh, featuring so, one night in Bangkok where where that one mom called into the radio station once going my son really loves this song what's it about and the dj's just laughing for a good half hour does he then say i get my kicks above the waistline sunshine so rita coolidge oh right right uh, Rita, but so, but her the song is terrible, and there's this really sleazy saxophone in there, and this is one of those things where you kind of gotta question people's musical taste and only justify of it's from its time so much. Yeah. Because does that sentence does that sentence make any sense? It will. It would so deal it's, with it's, it. It's of its time. I know. But I, I remember I was watching the music video, which is like Rita Coolidge tossing her hair in the wind by an Indian temple, with random clips of. Uh, um, Timothy Dalton rolling over on a train track. Was he only Bond for like one movie? Like one or two. I think. Yeah. I okay. Know. Sorry. Carry on. Rita Coolidge. Uh, and and but anyway. So but the the comments were like they just don't make songs like this anymore. What a beautiful saxophone. And I'm going no, it's not because I've never heard a saxophone be beautiful. I I mean I have, but in most pop music it sounds like shit. Rita Coolidge. You were miscast in the song, and now you're stuck with it, which is why, apparently, she has disowned the song herself. Oh, and, really? Oh, All yeah. time high? Yeah. Wait, didn't we watch that live performance together where she was she was singing it, and she was way over makeup, and also wore a suit like Gladys Knight did in her <laughs> song, <laughs> and, and looked like she was just loving life? Oh. YouTube it, y'all. I love that that's the song from a movie called Octopussy, too. Oh, my you God. Know? I think I think they I think I saw a video of Mark Wahlberg singing it because he was singing it in this movie that came out recently by the South Park producers and oh yeah because Nora Jones was in it too anyway whatever Octopussy okay right, so since we're on this uh, kind of eighties kick uh, and we already talked about a View to Kill and we talked about For Your Eyes Only uh, what's the other one Oh Living Daylights was that early oh aha uh -huh. oh okay so the aha uh -huh. yes <laughs> okay so dun, 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 dun. that's all I remember yeah well okay so the funny thing about aha. Uh -huh, um, is that everybody seemed to agree that um, when they did this Bond theme and that solidified the fact that they were a one-hit wonder, at least in parts of the world other than like Norway or wherever they're from, Denmark. And um, what I thought was humorous was oh, yeah. watching the opening sequence with that song, 
that in two different places in the opening sequence where they talk, because they all they all always have the credits that say who is singing, who wrote and who performed that song, and both those times it would say aha, but the way that aha was written was different than the font that they would use for the rest of the Bond credit. So then it was the aha font, which I thought was hilarious. I was like aha, like as if they were as if they were like. We ha our manager says that we have copywritten the way that we need to our, have our name appear Star in the box. suit. Yeah, like I was like, really? Uh-huh. All I really remember about this, well, I do know that in, in research for this, that they were super angsty about, like, the mix of the song. Uh-huh, what? Yeah, and so, like, the film version severely differs from the version that they had on their album. Really? They hated how it sounded in the movie, I guess. Because you know, it was such a good song, you know, good production really would have helped it. Yeah, that really great melody that I don't remember at all. And he sang like part of it like he was Arthur Russell, like that kind of Kermit the Frog, like, Her. and then <laughs> yeah, totally. and then part of it was like trying to do his best David Bowie. And it was very, very unsettling because I had no idea what was going on other than the fact I was being creeped out. Which kind of, like, the, the pulp one. Yeah. It just has a little bit of the Jarvis Cocker doing a... For sure. David Bowie, you know. Which is weird. David Bowie also has not sung... Yeah. I wonder if he's been approached. I wonder. I wonder if they have ever approached Britney. Toxic almost kind of sounds like it could be... I mean, that's so obviously spy movie. Well, that's the thing. It's like, because earlier... We, I mean, I, were, I really want to embellish more and use more examples on the, on the pop influence that this all has. Because, um, because, you know, like, Toxic, the Kathy Dennis written song, and, and, like, I mentioned, uh, Hoover Phonic, and I'm really surprised that, like, they haven't been approached, or Portishead, or any of those, like, trip-hop groups, because those yeah. are super moody. Yeah. You know? And I... Well, okay, so the thing is, they'll take the moody stuff, but since they have to have it be very sort of climactic at the end of the song, it has to be someone who can actually deliver the singing, like, the brah, you know, like, yeah. and, you know, a lot of the, the moody, like, Portishead stuff, it's like, it's moody, but it never really, like, they never really, they never sell it. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely, like, well, because Beth Gibbons kind of has, like, that sort of, like, Billie, Billie Holiday, Holiday kind of, yeah. like, on, on Qualude's quality. Yes, yes, and, and maybe she can, you know, to be more sort of dynamic in yeah, that. Destroying. Sell, and that's selling it. You, but, you know, I yeah. mean, but, I love Portishead, but... But Hey Carnert, who was the singer for most of Hooper Phonic, like, I remember, like, she's probably one of the best singers from the last whenever, but she she's really underrated. Um, but I remember, like, hearing a song of theirs called You Love Me to Death, and thinking, like, holy shit, this is orchestral, and this is really theatrical. Why have they never been approached? But yeah, but like lots of influence. So like, so like we have Hoover Phonic, like we said. We have uh, Britney. We have um, Girls Aloud. The end theme, well, the Pretenders. Like, Chris, oh right, Chrissy right. Hines, she had like two songs in it. One I don't remember at all, and I know we listened to it. The other one is this really beautiful ballad, but it, it's really confusing to follow. It's like it's, a waltz. Yeah, it's like a waltz, and it's totally kind of sexist. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is I listened to both of the Pretender songs, but, and all I, the, I don't remember the way either of them sound, and all I remember is that one of them had a video of Christy Hines sitting on, like, a stool. Oh yeah, it looked like a Life Touch school session photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, um, 
I don't, but honestly, I... It's pretty. I do remember that. Well, no, I do remember, like, if there was a man... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the name of the song. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. Right. I remember the title, at least. Yeah. Thanks, Chrissy. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, which reminds me, there was the garbage theme. Oh, the, oh you want to transport to the 90s? <laughs> Again, since we're talking about this all in order. <laughs> Cheryl Crow sounds like a dying cat. Tina Turner's having a seizure. Garbage is insatiable because the world is not enough. Mm. It, it was kind of serviceable. Yeah. You know, it just, yeah. just kind of happens. Not particularly memorable. Yeah. I feel like maybe over time the Bond themes got solidified in what people came to expect from them that that maybe made the template a little too rigid and that's why there haven't been good bond themes in a while what do you mean that alicia keys and jack white screech fest was so <laughs> memorable <laughs> the Adele song because I, now I, I there was the original time I listened to it and then I've heard it again since then and it's actually better than I thought it was mm -hmm. but not you know no I I actually have the same opinion the first yeah. time I heard it I hated it yeah and I thought she sounded out of tune and now I kind of really like it but it it's a slow burner which yes. is weird for a theme song yes it, it's like you got to hear it more than once for it to make sense and it doesn't sonically fully, it doesn't fully make sense but then again James Bond songs never have coherent lyrics Moonraker no I just mean m like the way oh, it Milan. sounds yeah. not like lyrically yeah you know, but I feel I feel like it has elements of the typical Bond song you know it ends in that sort of majestic flourish and it has that blues chord in it that they use all the time yeah and it has um this sort of uh sort of tone of urgency but it just feels too serious it doesn't feel playful to me and i feel like that's a problem with the relaunch of bond in general it's like too serious and boring and that was yeah actually, and, I, and like and like the old ones you know like it was so much more like playful and it was like fun and you know like yeah it was a flirtatious yes kinda, yeah kinda i mean dark. it had its problems you know in terms of the content of the movies and the treatment of women blah, 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 and all that stuff but it just seemed so much more like captivating to me than like the Bond stuff now and I think that that is like that Adele song is like sort of symptomatic of that but yeah actually that's the problem that I've had for a while is that like I'm really man that's a really good it's way too serious yeah I'm just not I why don't... so serious James Bond yeah <laughs> that's, that's the problem I had with the the garbage theme yeah and the the Madonna theme I always think that it has really cool strings in the beginning but then like it's Madonna's weird because in in her height, like in at Madonna at her peak, she she's really good because she's so over serious that somehow it cancels itself out and you just like her because she's Madonna. Yeah. But then that song just kind of toppled in on itself. Yeah. And I don't, and well, Sigmund and Freud. And it's like that's so cheesy. I can't. That's like the it's like the joke that joke we have about the rap at the beginning of American Life. So I love. Yeah, like it's that's it's like I can't really like was that your idea because that is so cheesy. <laughs> but then there's a few moments in that Madonna song that I'm like sort of catchy right here, and then the part where she's like, "I'm gonna break whatever my ego," and I'm like, "Oh, did Madonna write some of these lyrics? Cause this is feeling sort of you know pseudo enlightened Madonna."
there's some songs that I thought were interesting because like under the mango tree by Diana Couplin. Yeah, and it, that that like that one is like it's like not a Bond theme at all. It's like in the middle of the movie or something, and it's like you know just. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like a lot of stuff in the middle of the movie. Or Dionne Warwick slash Shirley Bassey singing Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, 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 Bang. Dusty Springfield's. Oh, yes. uh, Well, not Dusty Springfield, singular. Yeah. (laughs) But Possessive. Possessive. Her song, Mm -hmm. The Look of Love, from the original Casino Royale, which is not. It, it sort of counts in a way because it's a James Bond movie, but it was, it's sort of a spoof in a way and it wasn't officially made by the, the general James Bond overseers. Yeah, you know? but it does get listed at, like if like like all those top 10 theme lists and Bond movie top 10s that people have been putting out lately. They A lot of people have been talking about Casino Royale. It's funny for a song that was like the theme, the love theme from a non-official James Bond movie. It ended up being the most well-known next to Goldfinger, actually. Mm, interesting. It's a beautiful little tune. Yes. I believe Ursula Andress was in it. In, that's an in awesome name. Yeah, Ursula Andress? Yeah, that's a fabulous name. Oh, what's well, a great name, yes. It was written by Burt Bacharach, actually, which is funny. Um, King of Dionne Warwick. <laughs> <laughs> we just saw, also, we saw Dionne Warwick. Dionne! <laughs> We saw a Dionne Warwick commercial for some double album, and it has like it says like crazy Dionne Warwick two headed monster on the cover of the album. Like, Hydra Warwick. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my god. I hope she finds the way to San Jose someday. You should get a Google map. Mm-hmm. I haven't made this joke before. <laughs> Cut it out. Oh, what we didn't talk about is the Moby James Bond theme remix. Where they took the the James Bond original theme, the one by what's his name, John John Barry, yes, <laughs> um, and made it sound like it should have been in the Matrix or something. All right, so we got that covered. All right, moving on. So I guess the overall theme of this of our themes is that Bond themes somehow have a really big reputation for being really awesome, but I've realized that we've dissed a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're not that great, and they all live under the shadow of Goldfinger. But still, the influence permeates in our popular culture. It's true. Because it's pretty badass, and you know, even if the song sucks, it's still, there's a lot of money thrown into it, so that's gotta make it good, right? (laughs) Definitely. Oh, oh, I was gonna talk about, uh, Dustin Springfield's Look of Love. I remember once watching uh, Diana Krall do a cover of it, and she went, because she she sounds like Jodie Foster sometimes. Nice. And she was like, this next song was was written by Burt Backrack. Here we go. And I can't do it anymore because Diana Krall sort of makes me insane. Like, it's weird. Like... I, I enjoy her piano playing and the tone of her voice is good, but no, it's the way she, I don't know, her diction's weird. And... Yeah. So our favorite themes are, well, we can both agree on Goldfinger, right? Yeah. All right. So that one doesn't count. Yeah. I enjoy All Time High because it's so bad, it's awesome. I think maybe You Only Live Twice. That's a beautiful song. Yeah. 
I, I agree. I think Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice are probably like the most solid of them. Yeah. Out of the rejected ones, I actually really do like the Blondie for Your Eyes Only because, mm. again, caution! caution. <laughs> and um, it definitely sounds more like a Bond theme yeah. should than, yeah. than Shana Easton's. And I also really enjoy um, aspects of Goldeneye. And I, yeah, me too. Because it's Tina. Because she's just compel. Her voice is weirdly compelling in that song. And I can just see her eyes squinting. I, yeah, I wouldn't say that it moves me in any way, but like I don't know, it's really interesting to listen to. I think. Yeah, well, that's then. I guess it's a good song. Yeah. Okay, so that's solid. Okay, okay. so so far we we vote for Goldfinger. You only live twice. And Golden Eye as our our bronze winner. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I and out of the the independent Olympic athletes, <laughs> I enjoy For Your Eyes Only by Blondie. Mm-hmm. I also enjoy The Waltz If There Was a Man by The Pretenders, as far as I can remember it. Oh, okay. And the Scott Walker song because he has a frowny face. <laughs> I feel like, here's the problem, is that I feel like there's snippets of parts from each song that I like. Can we discount The Living Daylights? Because I don't like any of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the rest of it, I would agree. I feel like I would le- I would take, actually, Tomorrow Never Dies if they didn't have, if, she, if they had someone with a fuller-bodied voice that is not as thin-sounding as Cheryl Like Crow. a red wine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Cheryl Crow's kind of like white wine. Yeah. And I feel like maybe... Following that, I would take selections from the Madonna's Die Another Day. Yeah. Like, I feel selections from that song. Yeah, because I really do like the strings. Yeah, well, and also, like, parts of it are catchy. Like, you, it's definitely a dance song. I once saw a trapeze act perform to that song, but without the lyrics. And, the, and then also the act was too long for the song, so they had to start the song over. <laughs> Oh, could you imagine if they had done that to the Scott Walker song? <laughs> the sad jazz bell doing intense trapeze. <laughs> oh, actually, Diamonds Are Forever. How, I, I can't believe oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, That sounds really, really yeah, yeah. kick-ass, especially for the, the end part that gets super groovy and then it snaps out of it going, what am I doing? <laughs> Diamonds are forever. <laughs> so is there anybody that you think should be a James Bond singer? Hmm. Other, other, well, because I threw in my bid for the semi-obscure Belgian singer, Cake Arnert, former singer of Hooverphonic. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you like? Wow, that's a good question. Cher? Cher would do, she would be appropriate, but it would be totally boring. I agree. Yeah. Cher? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think about people with dramatic voices. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, people who are not just have an uh, interesting, idiosyncratic voice, but can also sort of sell it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sia would be good. She's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sia would be really good, actually. Yeah. If Britney would wake up, I would like her to do a Nancy Sinatra-esque kind of thing. Yes. I, I, would, lo- I would only want Britney to do it if she was really back in top singing form. First, I think lately it seems like people really think of that it has to be a woman singer, but that's not necessarily true. Like, that's true. But I mean, I mean, it's but the best ones have been by women singers, and for sure, like when people think about James Bond, one of the things they think about is like a, like a, 
I use, I've used this phrase, like, I, you should do a kick-ass kick phrase, word count, every time I've said it. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, like, the women are pretty kick-ass, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, sh- should Pink do it? Since Shirley Bassey did a cover in a James Bond-esque way of Get This Party Started, and she should pay it forward? I'm surprised they've never asked Christina Aguilera to do one. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although by asking this question, is it like we're, uh, are we asking a death wish on singers? Because I really, I don't, I, on their careers, I mean. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because the them doing the bomb theme means that then they are, like, I don't know if it's correlation or causation. I don't think doing the bomb theme causes your career to climax. It, maybe it's just correlated. It's symptomatic of... Like, you have just reached your peak, and it's a little bit, you're on your way to not being peaking. Etta James, if she was still alive, would have been really good. Did Eartha Kitt ever do one? No, I don't think she did. Huh. Yeah, well, well, I guess we don't really have to think about just modern singers, too. We can think about singers that have, like, a long tenure. Because, I mean, Shirley Bassey is always going to be referenced. Yes. Um, Yeah. I wonder if they ever asked Amy Winehouse to do it. I think they did. I think, and that would have been really awesome. Actually, Lana Del Rey should do one. Too. I, I was, th- I was kind of thinking that too, but I've never heard her really sort of sell her voice. But then I haven't heard that many songs by her. Oh, I really like her song "Yayo." That's a good song. Mm. She's very lots of dramatic strings. I think, I think she kind of typifies it mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, live she's very questionable, but she knows what she's doing in the studio. Yeah, Amy Winehouse would have been great though. I wonder if they ever asked Avril Lavigne. Like why what? Would why do? would they? But I can. Can you imagine what that might sound like? You know, weirder things have happened. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even though uh, "License to Kill" the Gladys Knight song is a mess of Celine Dion esque proportions, <laughs> she really does sell it because Gladys Knight is. That's true. A kick ass singer. She is. Yeah. Yeah. Nina Simone actually would have been really great. Oh. She's got, got that, like, full okay, throttle. Okay, okay. What, what about the one, the woman, okay, that song that's like... Dancing in the moonlight. That's Dancing in the Moonlight? That sounds like a Lana Del Rey No, song. no, no, it's that song that, that's like, it sounds like it's from, like, 1986. And it's like... Um, we're, we're out dancing. <laughs> yeah, she'd be great. <laughs> Did you just say Ted dancing? <laughs> Ted dance would be great to sing this. It's like, um, where she's like, we're getting ready to go. <laughs> I need to scratch this guy. <laughs> no, I demand you keep it. Uh, Take me down like a domino. Oh, oh, Jesse J. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So preposterous. Whenever I hear it, I like it puts me in the same mind space as that Britney song, um, "Leather and Lace." That sounds like it sounds like it's supposed to be when doves cry. 
Nick Stone's like, what, are they trying to sound like it's 1986? Like, it's, what's the story? Nina Simone would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Fiona Apple, in her lucid moments, would have been pretty oh. maybe okay. Oh, I could see that. It's kind of like a smoky quality. Maybe somebody with a smoky, smoky, you know which smoky ones, Robinson. I, you know what smoke. I prefer is to think of smoke. ones that would be hilarious for James Bond themes. Like if they yeah. had, if they had like Lady Sovereign. Or Cher Lloyd. <laughs> well, and Cher Lloyd probably would sing some song where it sounds like Oh My Darling Clementine and then grunt in the middle of it. Melissa Etheridge. Oh, does she still do things? I think she does. Yeah. Her voice is... Well, because you mentioned Bonnie Tyler earlier and I was thinking like, Bonnie Tyler kind of had that... Does she still do things? That I don't know. But she's probably still holding out for a hero or a record contract renewal. That song is still going on. It's like a 20 million year song. That, I think that song... That part at the end that just goes on forever and ever. I think that that song, Holding Out for a Hero and I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor are simultaneously still happening. <laughs> and one day there'll be like trains in a pre-algebra problem where you have to solve it before the trains crash. <laughs> While also at the same time on a totally different track are all the songs that have fade out endings, but without actually fading them out. Like you actually hear what they're doing at the end of the song. Yeah. Like, can I stop now? <laughs> Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I just remembered uh, Beyonce. She she kind of she well she sang um, "Baby Gotta Work It Out" from from uh, Austin Powers. Oh, which is a Jane? Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. She would be really good, actually, because she really knows how to sell it. Yes. Yes. Or if we want to go back into that, like, sultry, zeroed-in thing, um, someone like Jill Scott would be really nice. What about, um, what about Alanis Morissette? Does she still do things, too? She's got, if she doesn't still sing, she's probably still got to, like, insert as many words into her sentences as possible. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember hearing, um, Uninvited from, from, what's that movie? Was it City of Angels? Crow? No, The Crow. The Crow. Oh. Why did I say City of Angels? Oh, because the sequel is The Crow, City of Angels, which is unrelated. <laughs> but, um, it was very dramatic, you know. Mm. You know Uninvited? Yeah. No? What about Prince? Did they ever ask him? I don't know. Prince, would you like to do it? Alright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get back to us. Yeah. Get back to us, Prince. Okay. okay. You know who we haven't nominated? Hmm. Ourselves. Let's find out why. Shocking. Positively shocking. 
Liz, I'm tired of making it apparent that we have no idea what we're talking about. Can we just sing now? I think I think I'm definitely ready to do that. Okay. If you've never listened to the podcast before, then this will be new to you. If you have listened to the podcast before, this will be your second time with us doing Google voicemail transcription karaoke, which is which is inspired by Paul F. Tompkins, who is a hilarious comedian, and I regularly listen to his podcast, The Pod F. F. Tomcast. He does Google voicemail transcription reenactments. So basically we read lyrics into a computer of some form, and it digitizes it and tries to make sense of it, and in fact it just makes things worse. It feeds out its own transcription and it gets a lot of words wrong. And by worse, and by wrong... Obviously, we mean clearly more hilarious. And so we try to sing the lyrics over the rhythm of the original song. And the song that we've selected, by the way, is Goldfinger by Shirley Bassey. Of course, because she's the queen of the James Bond themes. Okay, here we go! Is the man, the man with my dad Such a spider touch With Goldfinger Back in June and yours was and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Thank you. This heart called Hello? Go to words You're hornier <gasps> Butterflies Kansas Cosmophile
That was awesome. <laughs> well, that was fun. Isn't it always? Wow, this isn't scripted at all. I love being us. Yeah, let's continue being us with the next installment of NSYNC fan fiction. Yeah. It's time for NSYNC fan fiction. It's fan fiction about NSYNC. NSYNC fan fiction is uh, some friends of mine found this bi- this binder at a thrift store. It's an NSYNC binder, and it's full of NSYNC fan fiction written by what we think is probably some preteen girl. I, hope, um, I really hope. Yeah, who's really into Joey, the least sort of heartthrobby guy in the band. We're only planning to read one page per episode. Oh my god, this is going to take forever. Previously on NSYNC Fan Fiction. She looks a lot like her, huh? The guys all think you look exactly like Kelly. So the plan is hiding the baby and my acting like Kelly. No one will ever know the difference. When were you going to tell me I was a decoy? (laughs) Kelly, I- I... Joe, Joe, I'm not kidding around here. You are fucking with my life and you are to tell me everything or I'm going home. That was it. That was all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna get something to eat. I assume I can change it. Anything you want, Kelly. Please don't be angry. Know your place, Joe, and don't forget mine. I turned away from him. You go, girl, Justin whispered, shaking his head as I walked out. I ordered some food and fought the urge to call the family. We decided that we would talk only once a week to make the time go faster. As I sat eating and looking out over the city, Joey walked in. The guys have odds that you're going to kick my ass. I didn't say anything. I'm sorry. Did I already say that? Was the line about her trusting me a crock of shit? No, that was true. I'll be real honest with you. I was the last one to see the resemblance. The guys pointed it out at the softball game. I'm sorry, I never meant to deceive you, or start out on a bad foot. I'm scared that I made and seen. What just happened here? I have no idea what just happened. This is kind of the most awkward reading that I've done thus far. I I felt like one of those kids in elementary school that was like, I don't, I can't read in public. I can't read in public. Oh, thank God I made it through. Popcorn. (laughs) Like each word is what, me, uh, Crock of shit. Like it's, or it's like when somebody's reading French aloud or trying to give you the date in French who doesn't speak French, and they're like, mil neuf yeah, un chat. So I guess what we're saying is this is in another language. <laughs> Bubbly girl cursive, uh, teenage girl fan fiction language. Yeah, I had, this was really weird for me to read this time. I think part of it was. Some of it's a little more smooshed together. Maybe her hand was getting a cramp. Which is weird because I felt like it's pretty neat looking. But then when you go in, I don't know, some some of the lettering is starting to blur together. Yeah, well, my theory is that this is a, this was the final draft. Like she wrote it out, you know, in another form, you know, in a different notebook or maybe earlier in this notebook. And then, you know, maybe she edited it or, you know, got some feedback. Probably not. She probably never showed this to anybody, but... 
Um, and then, uh, you know, this was like the final draft, you know, and so, but, he, but still, you know, it's handwritten, so, you know, it has, every person's handwriting has quirks to it, so, you know, parts of it are a little harder to read than others, but, um, you, you know, Liz, I don't, I don't think, um, you're giving this fine author the benefit of the doubt. I mean, this is probably her manuscript that she submitted to Random House. <laughs> well, she got Cheryl from Random House on the phone. Readers, yeah. you have to know that we now, because of, was it an episode, last episode or the episode before? It was the last one. Yeah. yeah. Where, like, we were talking about how, like, we're, we, theor we came up with theories, like, what was this intended for? You know, and, and... That maybe this was actually like you know going to be published, and so Sasha said, "Cheryl, can you get Random House on the phone?" And now that's turned into this thing where like, like, anytime I hear the name Cheryl, I immediately think of Sasha saying that. And then when I was in Grand Rapids, I found one of those patches that you put on like a like a service jacket, like on like a mechanic's coat, and it says Cheryl and cursive, and then I got it for Sasha. So <laughs> it's true. I ha I haven't quite. I haven't quite attached it to anything yet because I, I thought I was going to put it on this one coat, but then I went, oh no, it would look better on this one, but then that one has a, has a broken zipper. So I'm, I'm, I'm in between coat decisions, but that, the little mechanic Cheryl badge is going to be attached to something. So Sasha, what size jacket are you? Maybe one of our lucky listeners, you will get lucky by way of one of our listeners will buy you one. <laughs> <laughs> because the holidays are coming up while we're recording this. I'm more of a nice Nordic jumper kind of guy, you know, like a like a like an Arctic sweater with those nice reindeer and um, cable knit. <laughs> well, in the now that's out there in the ether, in ask the universe and it will provide. But be very specific about what you want from the universe, and you are. Dear universe, will you please get me a large size sweater? And or an extra large coat. That would be fantastic. Not medium, because that will shrink too much, although I can wear it once before I wash it. <laughs> and not extra, extra large, because people, I'm not that big. So uh, uh, that was our little form of chaos magic. What would you Sasha like for has... Kwanzaa? <laughs> <laughs> for Kwanzaa Hanukkah Christmas, I would like the Sammy Hagar memoir. I would also like... I'm sure it's available on eBay somewhere because it's no longer available on Britney Spears' website. Tragic. Yes. Mm. Um, but uh, two things. One is a replica. It's a T-shirt that has tattoo sleeves sewed onto it uh, from the Womanizer video and or the bandana that's made for a dog that says, I'm Britney's bitch. Thank you, universe. Do what thou wilt. Please present me with a hanky and a t-shirt. So two things about that. <laughs> I received a Rolling Stone in the mail from my mother gifting me a subscription, and um, it had a double cover. One was 007, which is appropriate for this theme of the podcast, and the other cover on the other side was in Spanish. Very obviously talented <coughs> rapper. <coughs> Bulldog. Pitbull. Pitbull has, like... All these gross tattoos, and one of them is on his right forearm, and it's this baby. It's this creepy-looking baby tattoo, and it says "My Destiny" above it. I don't know if that's his kid or if his. Oh, Destiny... I bet his kid is named Destiny. Oh, is it one of those airbrush? Because a lot of people, when they get, when they have children, they'll get those creepy airbrush tattoos. That's a portrait of their child. 
Why don't you have those of your cats? <laughs> Why don't I is a good question. Maybe that, you know, I was thinking about getting tattoos on like, you know, right below my neck, like, uh, like where, like a lot of the, like a lot of the like pin y you know, like rockabilly, contemporary rockabilly, women get those sparrows. So maybe I'll get one of the, each cat on each side. Like, and and uh, and a pug tramp stamp. Yes, please, pug tramp. Yes. Let's, let's get matching pugs. <laughs> That's a visual I never needed, particularly of my own body. Great, awesome. Also, the Cheryl mechanic thing. There's a you know I saw I saw I think there was this music video for it was a girls allowed music video that I stumbled across on one of my many YouTube trails of you know because you see one video and you keep clicking and one of them had cheryl cole in it and she was kind of in a mechanic-y kind of environment and i thought hmm perhaps cheryl cole deserves the cheryl mechanic badge more than i do <laughs> but then i went no because she is a she's a very well off woman and i need all of the mechanic badges that i can get she has probably considerably more money but she could get one custom made yeah that's that's all that had to be said about that. Yes. Anyway. So the, so this this whole uh, discussion started because we were theorizing as we do every episode what the intentions of this original NSYNC fan fiction what the intentions were. I think you said that. <laughs> all right. Maybe twice. Maybe thrice. Yeah. I think this stemmed originally from perhaps submitting this for the original intention. <laughs> Let's say it again. I think that we're submitting this. <laughs> I'm so giggy. <laughs> oh, here comes the espresso. <laughs> um, While you're letting that bubble up into your explosion of synapses, I would also like to contribute that this all reminds me of, so this book that I'm reading right now, it's called We Denistas, and it's written by women who all have sort of a fascination with Joss Whedon's work. Do I have to tip my We Denistas? Yes, yes, you do. Um, <laughs> and and um, mul there's multiple pieces in the anthology written by different women who, among other things, write fan fiction that involve either, you know, characters from Buffy or Angel you know, or Firefly. Firefly or, you know, whatever. And a number of them, like on multiple pieces, like one of the things that a lot of those women say in their pieces are like, this fan fiction was originally just for me because I couldn't find any um, work out there aside from Joss Whedon's work that sort of reflected the angle that I wanted from strong female characters. And so I was just, you know, that series ended. So I was continuing the mm. the experience. And this, a lot of this was before the season eight comics came out for Buffy. But my point is, is that, that they would then say, but then somehow it found its way into the world and people were really into it. And so I continued to offer it on my blog or, you know, available on, online somewhere and people kept asking me to write more. And so my thoughts are maybe this person originally wrote this just for her and then maybe, maybe, and I love this idea, she was like this, she was like in grade school or whatever and so originally she started it for herself and then she showed it to somebody because maybe she felt comfortable with them and they were like, oh my God, this is awesome. You need to like do some more pages of it and like give it to people on the playground and then like everybody on the playground or whatever or at the lunch table I guess it depends what grade they were in would be like all right we're ready for the next segment of the NSYNC fan fiction and it would become this sort of epic thing and so I was kind of hoping that that's what this is because it is really thick like this is 
you know, we are... We're never going to make it to the end of this story. Yeah, like... And I know you're all crushed. Yeah, I'm sure we're really leave, leaving you on a cliffhanger, you know, this piece, this week's segment being about her going to get food in the food court. That's something we do. <laughs> Actually, we've, no, we've never been to a food court together. Perhaps we'll have to rectify that. That's true. But if anybody wants to write Ray of Blight food court fan fiction and send it to us, feel free. Liz was torn. Should she get the mandarin chicken or the orange chicken? Oh my god, do I get a hot... Oh No, it's like slash fiction. Hot pretzel with mustard versus hot pretzel with synthetic cheese topping. <laughs> Maybe Sabaro tomorrow. <laughs> That's awful. And then after, whatever, and then after the author of this unsing fan fiction was done on the playground, they probably went on to write Twilight fan fiction, and that's why we're stuck with Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, yes. So, so sometimes that's a bad thing to get encouraged to write fan fiction, so stop doing it. No, that's a bad thing, because now I'm stifling people's creativity. Okay, do it, but only publish it in binders like this, so we can find it and make fun of it. I like that. In Weedanistas, <laughs> is there anything? Is there anything about our uh, our fairy godmother, Kaylee? Yes, there is actually. That's nice. Yeah. Um, well, she's really more like a, a guardian angel. You couldn't see me do the dramatic facial expression when I said angel, but it was there. There were eyebrows raised, mm. or specifically one eyebrow was raised. Yeah. Kind of like in, in that Hitchcock movie, Rebecca. You'll never be. <gasps> Rebecca. Um, so I'm trying to remember some of the Jewel State that stuff that was in there. I do. I'm merging it in my head with that recent interview that we recently read about her. That she said oh, that yeah. she felt like she still loves even now, years later, going to Comic Cons when they do like Firefly Q and A or cast reunions, and she loves reuniting with her cast because that was like the best point. Her favorite thing in her career yeah. and she felt like you know because firefly was only one season well then plus the movie that it was she called it the one that got away yeah because every other jewel state show has been longer than one season i love you jewel state let's have a moment of silence okay <laughs> that was more than one moment uh that's a, she deserves a couple it was one from each of us <laughs> from each dimension so. <laughs> like like her invisible friend Susie on Space Cases who lived in another dimension named Yensid, which was Disney spelled backwards because Jewel State went to a show. She left Space Cases to join a show called Flash Forward on Disney Channel. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Meta. That is pretty meta. Yeah. Yeah. See if it gets even further because her character's name in in Flash Forward was called Becca. And the actress that replaced her on Space Cases is named Rebecca Herbst. Man, we talk about Jewel State a lot, but it's good because we have to because we've mentioned her and everything else. And we had, we had one of our three fans say, I can't wait until you mention Jewel State again. We would like to thank our listeners for listening to episode number four. The show was brought to you by listeners like you. Please visit us on... On the World Wide Web. At somewhere. Find us on Facebook. That's descriptive. We're ending now.
gotta do that again. Okay. All right. Um. Hi, I'm Sasha. And I'm Liz. And this is Ray, Ray of Bites. Episode 